Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Today, I would like to label my sermon title with these words, Signs of the Times. Signs of the Times. I think it's, it could be very well said that you do not need to read the Roanoke Times to be up to date with eschatology or, or Bible prophecy. In fact, I believe that the Bible tells us more about the future than any magazine, article, or newspaper our world has ever written. In fact, I want to share with you a few verses before we dive into this passage about what the Bible says about the last days. You know, we hear a whole lot of mumbo-jumbo out in our world today about what people think and what people say and all this different nonsense about the last days. But here, I want to give you today not my opinion. I don't want to give you uh, what the Baptists might think may happen. I want to tell you today what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. May I take you back to the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel in the, the 12th chapter. Daniel is a confusing book all in of itself at times, but the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel of some attributes of the last days in chapter number 12 and verse number 4. The Bible says in the last days, man will go to and fro. In other words, we'll be able to go from this point to this point at a very rapid pace. Yeah, we can get an airplane, we can fly around the whole world in a matter of hours today. In fact, it used to take days to, to travel from Virginia all the way to California. Now it just takes you hours. You can fly there in just a few, a few, few short hours. But in chapter 12 of verse number 4 of the book of Daniel, it says, not only will man go from here to there or from to and fro, but it also says knowledge shall be increased. That does not mean we're going to get smarter. But what it does mean is our technology is going to increase. Today, if you could go back just uh, 20 years and you'd see a computer that was the size of the wall over there, now we got a computer that is our phone that does everything and then some what that computer used to do. Knowledge has surely increased over the years, and it's obvious. But may I now draw your attention to Matthew chapter 24 and, and Luke chapter 17. These are parallel passages talking about a very similar situation. The Bible says, it goes back, in fact, Jesus is speaking, he says that just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be during the time when the Son of Man shall appear. And the Bible says that the men and women of Noah's day were very, very wicked. They were so wicked that God sent a worldwide flood. And yes, I'm crazy enough. Yes, I am foolish enough to believe that there was a worldwide flood that took place because the Bible says so. And I believe we have evidence to support it, but that's another matter for another day. But also in Luke chapter 17, it mentions about the last days of Noah, but it also mentions the last days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah's day, it was a day full of sexual perversion. Now, I don't know if you've turned the television on, watch any of the sitcoms, or watch the internet with any length of time, but you, what you'll find out today is we are living in an age very similar to Noah and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. A day full of sexual perversion. And you know, we just took our young people to a youth rally, and they were emphasizing the importance of sexual purity before marriage. But you know what's missing today in most of our churches is not just sexual purity before marriage, but also during marriage and after marriage. And listen, we all mess up from time to time. But we need to understand this, that the Bible says, Jesus said, in the last days, sexual perversion will be rampant. God forgives. So if you have messed up in that area, ask God for forgiveness and he will forgive you. 
In Matthew chapter 25, one of the preachers talked about the other day, yesterday about this, but may I, may I clear something up with us all? That when Jesus was on this earth, he was limited in some of his divine attributes. And when he was on this earth, he did not know when the, when the second coming would be. But now he does know, okay? Because he is not limited in his characteristics and his attributes. So when Jesus was alive on this earth, he did not know when he would come back again because he was taking upon himself the form of a human. But now he knows. In Acts chapter number 2, we find that the Bible says, in fact, quoting from the book of Joel, that when the last days come, the Spirit of God will be poured upon all flesh. So now we know that God's Spirit is not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. That is, all people of all nations and kindreds. In the first and second Thessalonians, we read about how in the last days, the rapture will take place. Listen, you, I know the word rapture does not appear in our English Bible, but it comes from a Greek word or an original word that literally means rapture. It means to be caught up. And that's what second, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is talking about, that in the last days, the rapture is going to take place. Listen, you don't have to believe my words. You don't have to believe Brother Day's words. You don't have to believe Brother Andrew's words or our articles of faith. You don't have to believe that. But what you have to believe is the word of God. And if you deny the rapture, you're denying the word of God. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about how God is going to pour out his wrath and flaming fire on this earth. Judgment day is coming, whether Hollywood or anybody else wants to admit it. The Bible says it in first Timothy that we've already studied. It talks about the last days, how mankind will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It's obvious our world is accepting everything but biblical Christianity. It is offensive to people to say, hey, Jesus is the only way to heaven. But it's not offensive to say that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. It's crazy. The Bible is true whether people want to admit it or not. Second Peter talks about how there will be scoffers in the last day saying, where is the promise of his coming? You've been preaching for 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back again, but he hasn't showed up yet. Well, listen, he is going to come back. He said he was, and he's coming back he might come back today. Wouldn't it be great if he just came right now when, when we were having our sermon? That'd be awesome. What a way to go. <laughs> in Jude chapter number one, it also talks about how in the last days, not just scoffers will come, but mockers. So people will mock the word of God. They will scoff at the word of God. They will ridicule the word of God. That's okay. I've read the last chapter. <laughs> and Jesus is going to set it all straight. Today, as we come to this book of the Bible, 2 Timothy, you know, you know as well as I do, Paul's writing to this young man named Timothy the second time, and he lists out a huge list. I think it's 20 of them, if I counted correctly. 20 characteristics about what it's going to be like in the last days. But today, I'm not going to go through, I don't have a 20-point message for you today. Uh, I'll save that for some other time, that you'll be willing to stay here for 20 hours. <laughs> Today, I want to give you three characteristics of the last days. I want to draw your attention to verse number one. I want to share with you the first thought today. In the last days, man will live perilously. Try to say that word right. You try to say that word three times fast. Perilously or dangerously. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. The word perilous, I believe it gives a connotation of three separate meanings. So I wrote down this. To be perilous times means dangerous times. 
Now, maybe you, you remember the day where you didn't have to lock your door at your house or lock the car. You could leave your keys in the ignition and you wouldn't even have to lock the, your car. In fact, you never locked your car because if you did, you'd lock your keys in there. You, remember, you might remember a day where you could take your bicycle, you could ride it a couple miles down the road and leave it right there and come back three days later and it would still be there. Maybe you remember as a child, you'd have your baseball glove or your baseball bat and your baseball and you'd go down the road, you'd play at the park and you'd leave it all there and it would all still be there a couple weeks later. Today, if you drive down to Walmart and leave your car running and leave it unlocked and put $300 in there in cash, Laying on the seat, I'll tell you one thing, it's probably going to not be there. Today we live in an age where it's so dangerous that if you don't lock your door, that somebody could come in and rob you blind. In fact, we live in days so dangerous that, 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 that you, you can lock your house, you can have security system at your house and an alarm system, and people will still break into your house and steal everything you got in there. We live in an age where it's so dangerous that you can't even go to church without somebody getting shot and dying. Today we live in an age that's so dangerous that young people can't even go to school without worrying about if somebody's going to barge in there and shoot the place up. We live in a day where we can't even go on a plane flight without worrying about if somebody's going to hijack that plane and blow up a building with it. To be perilous times means dangerous times. But also I believe this, as you study this word perilous, it also means this. To be perilous times means difficult times. I believe that the longer we live in life, the more difficult the days are going to become. In fact, if our nation continues to go the spiritual direction that our nation is going, it's going to get more difficult for us as Christians and believers to live the way God has called us to live. Let's embrace the fact that in the last days, it might be dangerous and it might get difficult. But listen, church, we have the encouragement of knowing that, hey, the more dangerous it gets, the more difficult it gets. It means the closer we are getting to the second appearing of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged and keep looking up because Jesus could come back today. May I also share this with you? Not just dangerous, not just difficult, but I wrote on this. To be perilous times means furious times. There's one thing about being dangerous and one thing about being difficult, but this word perilous also has a third idea, and that is being furious. Somebody who is furious is somebody who is reckless. Somebody who doesn't care about how they're going to hurt somebody else in their life, they're going to do whatever they want to do. We live in an age and a generation where people are going to do whatever they want to at whatever the cost, no matter if it hurts their friends, no matter if it hurts their family, no matter if it hurts their church, no matter if it hurts anybody. They are going to do whatever they want. In the last days, man will live perilously. But may I share with you a second characteristic from verses 2 through 5? Remember, these are signs of the times. And if you don't believe Jesus Christ is going to come back very soon, you need to wake up and smell the fresh air. Because, <laughs> I mean, it sure is smelling like he's coming back soon. Look at these next few verses. I wrote down secondly. In the last days, man will live selfishly. In the last days, man will live selfishly. I believe these next few verses, two, verse two, verse three, verse four, verse five, it all speaks about this, how we are living selfishly. Listen, when we are 
look, look, look at verse number two. It says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I wrote down this. To be selfish means to love yourself more than God. To be selfish means to love yourself more than God. I believe everything in verse number two is revealing to us that when we are covetous, we love ourselves more than we love God. When we are coveting our neighbor's spouse or our neighbor's house or our neighbor's car or our neighbor's salary or any of that stuff, we are loving ourselves more than we're loving God. Because if we love God more, we will be content with the spouse that God has given us. We'd be content with the house that God has given us. We'd be content with everything that God has blessed us with. To be selfish means to love yourself more than God. Look, it says boasters and proud. Pride is something that when we are prideful, we are revealing to everybody else that we love me, myself, and I more than the God of Adonai. Listen, church, it is time that we understand this, that God is more important than us. God is more important than me. God is more important than myself and I. He is the God of the universe, and He deserves worship. I believe that this whole mentality of selfishness is not just something the world is consumed with. I believe that it's something that the modern church is consumed with. Listen, church, I believe the modern Christianity is so focused on self that we've lost the sight of God. We're so consumed about what's going to benefit each of us that we fail to realize that the life that we're living it's not about selfishness. It's about honoring, glorifying, and worshiping God. And when we understand that, we will cease to be covetous. We will cease to be proud, blasphemers. Hmm. You know, it's common to hear God's name in vain on TV. It's common to hear God's name in vain on the movie screen. It's common to hear God's name in vain on YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. You name it, you got it. We've all have taken God's name in vain. We're all guilty. But God's name deserves reverence and worship. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments commands us not to take God's name in vain. I wonder, does it bother us? Does it bother you when you hear God's name in vain? If it doesn't bother you, something is clearly wrong in your relationship with God. It bothers me when I hear people say God's name in vain. But you know what bothers me even more? Is that the vast majority of the time, I don't even say anything about it. Look at the next phrase. <laughs> Disobedient to parents. This is not confession time. But I want you to know that I was not always obedient to my parents' authority and leadership in their house. <laughs> and they know that. And I'm not going to bore you. with. Oh, In fact, it's probably not boring for you. Uh, <laughs> but it'd be boring for me. <laughs> but I want to share this with you. 
I believe that this gives an idea of, of more than just, hey, you know, Brian, I want you to take the dog, uh, the dog food out there and feed the dog. Or, Brian, I want you to take the trash out. No, no, it goes more than that. I believe that this gives the idea that, that, that young people are going to live in a rebellious spirit towards authority. And that's authority in the household. Today, hear me, hear me out now. I know, I know the last thing you want is a guy like me giving you parental advice. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, about eight, eight years ago when you guys were asking me to, to become the pastor, I struggled with that. But I heard somebody say this, is that to give somebody marriage or, or parental advice, you do not need experience. All you need is the Word of God. So today I'm going to share with you the Word of God. And here's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that in the last days there will be a generation of people who are completely disobedient, rebellious towards the authority in the household. Today, we live in an age where the children decide where they're going to go out to eat, where the children are going to decide to watch on television, what the children are going to decide where they're going to go to school, what they're going to wear, what they're going to watch on their phone, who they're going to talk to, what they're going to listen to with their music. All that is speaking about the last days. And it's obvious that, that hey, you know, our world accepts what a student would say rather than the teacher. It, it, it is really odd to me that children and youth have more power than the people in the authority places that God has established. Now, today's not a message about, about beating anybody up. Today, I just want to be real with you. I want to be real on the fact that we have young people today that could care less about not just the authority in the house, but the authority in the church house. How God has placed Sunday school teachers, God has placed youth pastors, God has placed pastors, God has placed deacons, God has placed these people in these positions for a purpose. We live in an age where people are less concerned about the authority all over the board in our nation, in our congregations, and then some. But the greatest authority that we have is not a pastor, it's not the police, it's not the president, but it is Almighty God. He's the authority figure. And we should never be disobedient to his authority. It goes on to say, unthankful and unholy. As I read verse 2, I just simply said this. To be selfish means to love yourself more than God. But then as I read verse number 3, remember, we're underneath the thought, in the last days, man will live selfishly. So to be selfish means to love yourself more than God. But then as I read verse number 3, I wrote on this, to be selfish means to disobey the word of God. Look at verse number three. Now, I know that when you study these three words, it does not give the idea of what I'm about to share with you. But I'm going to share with you that what I'm about to share with you is not natural, okay? It is natural for a man and a woman to be together. What is not natural is for a man and a man to be together or a woman and a woman to be together. In the last days, remember... Jesus said in Matthew and in Luke that sexual perversion will be very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was more than just sexual immorality in that day. It was the idea of all this nonsense about a man and a man or a woman and a woman. You know, marriage will always be in God's eyes between one man and one woman, preferably for life. But, but you know, we all mess up and we all sin and God can forgive us no matter if we go through divorce or we have to remarry all that different stuff but here it says without natural affection and it is completely unnatural in fact it is so unnatural that homosexuality could never 
produce offspring. Now, I'm not here to say, here to beat up anybody who practices that lifestyle or all that stuff. But what I am here to say is this, is that it is sin. And it does not have God's blessing. God's blessing is on a man and a woman and that household. So we're going to stand there. And whenever we do not advocate or promote God's view of marriage, we are disobeying his word. It goes on to say, truce breakers. In fact, back in Ecclesiastes, it talks about how when you vow a vow, it's better to, to, to not make that vow and to make the vow and break it. Today, it's just hard to take anybody, anybody's word for anything. But I'll tell you what, you can take God's word to the bank. <laughs> you know, somebody might hack into your bank account and steal some of your money. And it happened to me recently. Uh, but anyway, so I got my money back. Thank God. Had to change my debit card and all that stuff, but I got my money back. But listen, nobody can hack in and into God's heavenly bank account. <laughs> and nobody can, they might try to change God's word. They may try to take away from God's word. They may try to add to God's word. But listen, God's word will forever stand in heaven. And it will always be preserved because he said it would be. And, and here it is, false accusers. Have you ever been falsely accused for something? Jesus was 2,000 years ago. Jesus died a sinner's death. He died a death that he didn't deserve to die. And he did it for you and me because we are the sinners. God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went through all the agony, all the pain, all the torture, all the suffering so that we would not have to go to hell. And as I read about somebody being falsely accused, I think about Jesus. And in fact, I believe that ever since Jesus ascended up to heaven, we've been living in the last days ever since then. I just think that perhaps we're living in the last of the last days now. It goes on to say incontinent. That just simply means without self-control. You know, we live in a generation of all sorts. It's not just young people. We live in an age, maybe I should say, that we have no discipline. Absolutely no discipline. We can't control what we put in our mouths, and we can't control what comes out of our mouth. <laughs> Man, God help us. He goes on to say, listen now, fierce. And he, here, here's where I really want to focus on. Despisers of those that are good. Man, how many times have you been mocked and ridiculed because you believe the Bible and you try to do the right thing? As I read verses 4 and 5, I also wrote on this. To be selfish means to love pleasure more than God. In the last days, man will live selfishly. Verse 4 talks about being traitors, talks about pride again. But it says this, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. God has given us different stuff in life that is pleasurable. And we're Baptists, and so what, what, what pleases our tongue is to have that mac and cheese on homecoming uh, Sunday and, and uh, that fried chicken. Somebody, somebody testified this morning in the house of God. Come on now. That's next month. Praise the Lord. We're going to eat and eat and eat and eat. But here, there's certain pleasures in life. We're not going to dive into all of them. But here, hear me out today. We should never love those pleasures more than we love God. But the Bible says... That in the last days, people will love the pleasures of life more than the God who gave us life. Verse 5 is something else. Man, 
It says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I'm not naive enough to think that everybody here today is saved. I'm not naive enough to think that everybody that's here today is blood washed and born again and heaven bound. Perhaps there's somebody here today, maybe you're going through the motions. Maybe you've been going to church. Maybe you've been a member of this church for years, but you're not even a member of the family of God. The Bible says here, having a form of godliness, this gives the idea of going through all the routine and all the motions. And, and if we're not careful, we'll get into habitual Christianity where we're just going here and doing this. And, and we know that we're going to sing this song and we're going to do this. And then we're going to hear the preacher preach. And then we, I, I know what the Bible says. But listen, I, I know that, that many of you here, you know the Bible. But do you know the God of the Bible? There's a difference. To know of somebody and to actually know somebody is completely different. Today, I want to know God. I don't care about the pleasures of this life. I want to know God, and I want you to as well. I don't want to go through the motions here today. I don't want to go through the motions anymore in our church. I don't want to just get up here and just preach a sermon because, listen, it's my job. I want to preach a sermon. I want to have a service that draws us closer to Jesus Christ and that conforms us more to his image, that will convict us where we need to be convicted, that will draw us closer to him. I am tired of modern Christianity because modern Christianity is going through the motions. I'm tired of emotionalism, I'm tired of formalism, and I'm tired of all that stuff. Let's love God more than anything. In the last days, man will live selfishly. In the last days, man will live perilously. But check it out now. As I read verses 6 through 9, I wrote down this. In the last days, man will oppose the truth of God Almighty. In the last days, man will oppose the truth of God Almighty. Signs of the times. In fact, I have an idea. Let's send 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 to the Roanoke Times and see if they'll make an article about it <laughs> and put it in the newspaper. It might cost us $1,000, uh, but, but they might do it. They probably won't. Maybe a letter to the editor, something like that. But as I read verses 6 and 7, I wrote down this. We're not going to spend too much time dwelling here, but listen to this. To oppose the truth means to lead people from the truth. Verses 6 and 7 gives this idea that there's going to be people that will come in and they'll try to lead people astray. God has called us to lead people to the fold, to the household of faith, not to lead people away. Now, the devil is a mastermind. He's smarter than all of us here combined. He's been at it for, for thousands of years, and he knows your weakness, just like he knows my weakness, and he knows what bait to put at the end of that hook that'll draw us astray. And he opposes the truth so severely that he wants to draw us far away from God. He wants to take a child of God who's gotten saved, and he wants to push them as far away from the Holy Ghost and far away from the Word of God and as far away from the church as he possibly and humanly can. And he opposes the truth. And just as God has ambassadors and agents in this life, so does the devil. Now, if you are naive enough to think that the devil's not real and that there's not demonic spirits, then you need to reread the Word of God and rethink your theology because they're real. And every time we have a service, he's fighting. He's opposing. But I thought about this. When the devil is fighting, God is is working. 
So the more opposition the devil sends, the more hedge of a protection that God provides. To oppose the truth means to lead people from the truth. There's a whole host of people that are out there leading young people, middle-aged people, and, and older people away from the truth of God. I'm not against the History Channel by any way, shape, or form, but there's programs on the History Channel that are leading people from this book right here. There's universities out there that are leading people away from this book right here. There are professors, there are very intelligent people who are leading people away from this book. Our goal should bring people to this book. Look at the next verse, verse 8. I wrote on this, to oppose the truth means to stand against those who stand for the truth. I know that was a little wordy, but listen to it again. To oppose the truth means to stand against those who stand for the truth. Now, maybe you're like me, and you decided that th these two names right here in verse number 8, Janice and Jambres, I put it in my, my, I got out my Bible app, and I typed in their names, and the only time they're mentioned is right here in this book, because the Bible talks about Moses. And I'm like, well, surely, if it speaks about Moses here, Moses is all over the Bible, but if Moses' name is mentioned, not just in the New Testament, but back in the book of Exodus and the other places, then surely these two individuals are going to be mentioned, but you know what? They're not mentioned by name. The Bible commentary, the commentators take us back to Exodus chapter number 7 when Aaron and Moses are walking into the palace and they have those rods and God tells him to throw the rods down and turn into a serpent. So they say, they tell me, I don't know if this is true, you know, I can't, I can't prove it to you, but they tell me that the sorcerers that were there who had the rods down that were turned to snakes are these two individuals that are mentioned by name. You remember what happened if, if by a chance those two men are the ones who are being mentioned here about Moses? If those men were the ones mentioned, you remember what Moses and Aaron did? They threw the rods down and what did those rods do? They turned into serpents and their serpents ate those other serpents. Here today, church, it doesn't matter who opposes God's word. His word will always stand. And listen, I'm not here to, to say this because I want to say it. But if there is a man of God leading a congregation and his life is clean, and he's living in God's will, and you oppose the leadership that God has placed, then you are not right with God. God has placed the individuals in this church for a reason. And the Bible says that when you oppose the man of God, I'm not speaking about if he has sin in his life and he needs to get right with God, because God knows that when David sinned, he sent the man of God to confront him. But if there is a man serving in the church who is leading them and you oppose their leadership, you better rethink that. Here it says that these men withstood Moses. And then it says about these living in the last days, they also resist the truth. Moses went in on a command of God. And he said, thus saith the Lord. Now, sure, there might be times where I might say something that may not be theologically sound. And, and I know I'll hear about it. And that's okay. You can come to me and we'll, we'll chit-chat. And I, after our conversation, you'll find out that you were wrong to begin with. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but listen, if I'm preaching God's word and you resist this book, you're resisting God. But if I preach my opinion, you can resist me all day. But then he goes on to say, men of corrupt minds reprobate 
concerning the faith. Reprobate's mentioned a few times in the New Testament. And I'm not here to tell you who's reprobate and who's not. But this word reprobate literally gives the idea that this person has, has had ample and plenty of opportunities to receive Christ as Savior. But they have tested the long-suffering and patience of God to such degree. God said, you've had your chance. And now it's over. That's why it's so important when the Holy Spirit is, is, is convicting. We need to respond right away. Verse number nine. Leading up to this thought, to oppose the truth means to accept God's condemnation. To oppose the truth means to accept God's condemnation. Verse number nine says, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. The word justification is a theological term that simply means to be declared righteous. So if you go into the courtroom and by a chance you got there and you didn't do anything wrong, the judge will say, you are innocent. He declared you righteous. If you're in the courtroom, like, like, like we've all been there before, like, you know, the time I had my speeding ticket, uh, I was guilty. And so he declared me guilty. I was condemned. That's what condemnation means, to be declared guilty. Now, may I teach you another word? A word that we don't like to talk about much, but it's the word damnation. This word damnation goes further than condemnation by sentencing somebody to the eternal judgment of God in the lake of fire. So you have justification. If you're saved, you've been justified. But if you're not saved, you've been condemned, and later you will be damned for all eternity. And if somebody hears God's word and they reject God's word, they will receive God's judgment. That's why it's important that we take God's word and we give it to them gracefully with love and compassion. Now, in Sunday school, this morning, Brother Joel was teaching us about the life of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, chapter number three, you don't need to turn there. But I, maybe you're asking yourself a question like, like I've asked. I'm like, God, it's obvious that, man, your, your time is soon coming. What should we do? Well, I believe we are called to pray for revival. Habakkuk was living in a time where, where listen, they were not spiritually minded. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, it says a prayer of this man of God, Habakkuk. And he says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. I believe we could pray a similar prayer like Habakkuk prayed in these last days and say, God, in the midst of all the utter chaos and sinfulness that's going on, God, would you please send revival and God, would you have grace and mercy upon our lives? In the last days, man will oppose the truth of God Almighty. In the last days, man will live selfishly. In the last days, church, man will live perilously. These are the signs of the times. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I wish I could prove to you the exact day and the exact hour. But the Bible says we can't know the day and hour. But the Bible says we can have seasons. And I believe that as we're driving down the road, those seasons are kind of like the signs that we see on the road when we're getting closer to Roanoke, if we're traveling outside of Roanoke. It tells us we have a certain amount of miles that we get to Roanoke. And I believe these signs are telling us, they're giving off signals and saying, hey, the time of the return of Christ is soon. 
So man and woman up and start living in holiness and telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.